Hey, I'm Zach Robinson. And I am Leo Bierenberg, and we are the composers of Cobra Kai, and you're tuning into Cobra Kai Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And I'm Tom. And we're back with another interview. This one is special because it's actually kind of not a cast member, (laughs) plural. Uh, Well, first (laughs) off, it's the first time we've had two people on at once. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not. When uh, Mr. Cove was uh, on the show, oh, we right. also interviewed his partner with uh, Logan Clark's uh, CBD cream. That's right. That's right. My apologies. Um, well, how about the first time two people from Cobra Kai? There you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we have uh, composers Leo Berenberg and also Zach Robinson. This was amazing, you guys. I mean, we got to pick their brain about composing music, uh, balancing their work with Bill Conti, just a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it really kind of, in my opinion, gave me a a greater appreciation than I already had for film and television composers, uh, just because it it gives us a chance to kind of get into the nitty-gritty details of what they do and how they affect uh, your favorite programs and films. Yeah, I know some of these questions did come up like over, um, you know, Mr. Hurwitz's Q&As over the months here. And uh, so I couldn't have, I mean, I was extremely excited. And this this one's been in the works for a really long time, you know, and they've worked on some major projects as well. And they talk a little bit about that. Uh, But if you guys haven't already, check out that soundtrack. You know, I know it's available on Google Play and Apple Music. As I say, it's, it, it, there's no reason why you can't find it. If you have a phone, you can stream it through YouTube even. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's on the Cobra Kai channel. Yes, yes but, it is. Yeah, yeah, see? So, uh, yeah, just I, I love the music. I know you guys do too. Um, and it's it's really amazing to like listen to it after binging season one so much and then it the music really sticks out to you after that so it's kind of a a really interesting experience binging that album over and over and over uh and then re-watching the series again yeah uh it's great for background music driving uh or anything yeah i i can't recommend it highly enough it's a great listen yeah absolutely so uh this is our conversation Okay. Um, all right. I, I guess maybe we'll just go ahead and jump into it, uh, Leo, Zach. Um, I I have looked on uh, look, looked up some of your guys' previous work, and it looks like you guys have collaborated on uh, some things together previously. I I want to know how the, the two of you kind of got into this business, getting into composing, music assistant, and there's all types of different titles that you guys have. Yeah, Leo, do you want to take this one? Uh, I was going to ask you the same. All uh, right. We, we could we could just trade it off back and Let's forth. Let's do it. Um, uh, where where should we start? We go we go way back at this point. 
right? Yes. Like six years. Does that sound right? I think so. Uh, well, Zach and I both met because we were working for another composer, Christoph Beck, and we both worked for him and uh, learned to work together uh, when we were working for him. Uh, and I don't know, that's how we became friends. Yeah. And like when you're working for a sort like kind of a bigger composer who's working on bigger films, like you know, deadlines are tight. It's very high pressure. There's a lot of projects happening at once and everyone is kind of on the same team working like long hours together and kind of like going through this grind and Leo and I ended up working incredibly well together and we kind of used the same systems um, just like for writing and for tech stuff and our styles ended up complementing um, each other really well. So when we ended up both kind of on our separate paths, leaving Chris's and going out on our own, we ended up taking a few projects together because um, our styles just like complement each other so well. So our first project was actually one of YouTube Red's really first like first shows. First generation of shows. First generation, yeah. <laughs> Um, and we did sing it, which was from the fine bros who do like the kids react videos. <laughs> and, uh, that, that kind of came and went. that was, that was pre Cobra Kai, long pre Cobra Kai. <laughs> so YouTube red wasn't really a thing yet. And then when we heard about Cobra Kai, uh, we, we read about it on, you know, deadline or something. And we emailed our agent and we just said, Hey, like, we think this is something that we could do. We get, we know nothing about this project. We knew, we didn't know it was a, you know, a continuation of the story. We thought it was going to be kind of like a, a reboot or yeah, like, a, like, you know, or like a loosely based on. So we ended up putting together like a reel that had just a bunch of different types of music on it that we thought like the new karate kid should sound like. And, and, um, it got sent over to, to John, Josh and Hayden through a series of, uh, connections. And, um, we ended up just taking a meeting with them, like, like before they started shooting even, and we got it right after the meeting. It just, it was one of those things where it just clicked really quickly. You guys mentioned that you guys have like a, like a similar style. At, at what points in your lives that you guys decided like, hey, I, I want to get into film and compose music? Well, what's interesting about Zach and I is we both have really diverse styles. Like we, we both have like pretty wide musical backgrounds and thus I feel like we have like a lot of overlap. So like for me, I grew up as like, a band geek basically uh who played saxophone and clarinet and flute and was like in all the school musicals and did like two different choirs in high school like um so as a result like i just accumulated this like giant like broad kind of musical taste palette uh, but it was in college i showed up to uh I went to NYU for my undergrad and I showed up on my first day and my, one of my roommates was like a film major. Uh, and so like he has become one of my best friends since. And like he, like a few weeks in, cause I really liked movies. He was like, Hey, I had to make this movie for class. Do you want to like write music for it? And I was like, sure. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I have the score somewhere and it's hilariously bad. 
So it was kind of like a, uh, I don't know, I've always loved movies since I was like five, wanted to be like a little Steven Spielberg with my Legos. And so I think it was just kind of a natural way to combine those like artistic interests. Yeah. And uh, I was like almost the complete opposite and played guitar and played in really bad rock and punk bands and on like the Sunset Strip when I was like 15, 16. And uh, but I was always into film music, even when I was really young. And I went when I went to uh, Northwestern in Chicago, I studied music and very similar to Leo, like kind of, you know, had friends that were doing uh, uh, movies and I scored them and. And then I moved back to I'm from L.A. and I moved back to L.A. and started uh, apprenticing over at Chris's place. And that's where I met Leo, who is uh, Leo was already holed up there and he was in a little tiny dark room. And uh, little did I know that we would be friends forever. Yes. (laughs) You guys you guys mentioned uh, that you had all kinds of uh, love of music. Uh, What kind of influences, you know, kind of formed your style? both in terms of uh, composers and popular music? Um, I am really into, I mean, like, you know, I, I kind of grew up on, like, classic rock stuff and, you know, had right to, on. like, grow out of my classic rock phase at some point. I still and have then I got into, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm actually, like, getting back into it. Um, but, like, I listened to a lot of, like, Prague and like kraut rock and and like craft work and electronic music and stuff like that and, and then I ended up kind of getting really into 80s music at a some at some point in college and I I write kind of as a side or I used to write as like a side project synthwave 80s music so oh, that wow. that all kind of blends in into into my work but I also like love you know I mean I love Ennio Morricone he's like my yeah my guy there there's i don't often get to write western music or things that or you know weird prog horror scores even though i would love to do that every day of my life but that is <laughs> that stuff that you know influences me um i like i said i grew up playing saxophone so like i went through a lot of phases i went through like a you know my dad is a big grateful dead fan so like i spent a lot of time listening to the dead growing up and then like when i started to kind of have my own musical interests when i was like hitting high school because i played saxophone i was like all jazz and a ton of pat metheny i've probably listened to more i've probably listened to more pat metheny in my life than like everyone else combined but then i went to college and like felt like i was behind the curve of the like people studying music thing so i was like shit i can't listen to any more jazz i gotta like listen to mozart for a bit and then i went through this like couple year period of just like 19th century german opera all day every day i bet you threw the most raging house parties with yeah yeah you know very quickly into college my friends banned me from plugging my ipod in when we would like have a party in our apartment um like i I was (laughs) it would be very much like hey like someone would come over and be like leo put some music on your music major and my roommates would just be like no don't like no and then uh so yeah that's that's kind of my weird journey one of the um, earlier collaborations that uh, I've, I see here in your guys' credits is Frozen. And what do you guys do as a score coordinator? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> we, we did that while we were uh, working for Chris Beck, who 
is, for context, a uh, much bigger film composer than we are. Um, and when we were working for him, he was extraordinarily busy. And we had this like couple year run of like some Muppets movies and Frozen and Edge that, of Tomorrow, like, Hangover movies. Yeah, Edge of Tomorrow and Ant Man and the Peanuts movie. Just like literally huge stuff. Um, so uh, I don't know. Frozen was a bit of a uh, jack of all i feel like there's like vestigial dna of ours like all over the place there (laughs) generally what we do is like it can range from anything from like fixing a computer to writing a cue so or like you know writing a piece of music for a scene um that's kind of like the composer assistant job is very broad and all consuming yes (laughs) So score coordinator is kind of like the assistant to the composer. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and you're doing a lot of like there's a lot of like production in, involved like you yeah, have to like book orchestras and you have to, you know, be in charge of like, you know, dealing with like contractors and uh, then you know you get the uh, mixes and you've got to make sure they're um you know they're getting their way over to like the master for the soundtrack, just stuff like that, that also comes into play. It's, it's very all encompassing and it's kind of just a label that like you want to like, just put something for the end scroll of a movie credits. And you're like, what do you, what do you put? So I've heard that, uh, and I'm probably misquoting the ever living hell out of this, but I've heard that film and television is like 80 to 90% an audio medium. Uh, what do you think are the hallmarks of, bad sound as, as far as composing uh, fully and all that and good sound fully and composing all in all of that. Hmm. Mm. I would say, well, I don't know if it's, I would even define like bad as a sound. I think that the thing that separates, let's say content that is, that is good to maybe content that is that is not so good in regards to music is how music is treated as score in those in the, in those like pieces of content so like if something is generally overscored like you've got every scene that's got music blanketed from like you know beginning to end that kind of indicates uh maybe subconsciously to a viewer but very consciously to someone like me or leo that you're using music to cover up the, the the blemishes of a of a not maybe not so well directed scene or, or episode or something like that. Um, like wall to wall music in both TV or film is 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 kind of a tell in regards to like maybe the filmmakers aren't so confident in what's going on on screen. Whereas like having choice areas to where like, okay, like we're going to have music here. Then we're going to take a little break because the scene is so well acted, you know, let the, let the actors kind of take the scene, let the writing take the scene instead of the music that kind of indicates that like, okay, there's, you know, there's some respect for the craft of what's going on. And like, everyone is feeling confident about it. And um, it it's like less fatiguing too, as a viewer, like you're not constantly inundated with just sound. Uh, I hope that answers your question. I don't know if there's another answer to that. I, I'm trying to think of like 
I'm, I'm trying to like find a new way of visualizing that question. And this is what I've come up with. Zach, tell me if you agree. Like if you took television or, or film, but I almost wonder if it works better for television and got rid of the visuals and just listened to like an audio track of an episode, like what various choices would be made? Like, like how similar would that be to watching it? Like what creative yeah. choices? And yeah. I think what Zach was talking about, about like spot, like I think if something is well structured and spotted from an audio point of view, it's going to be effective, like almost as effective. Yeah. I'm actually really enjoying your answer. And I, I, I hate to interrupt because I, I'm somebody who does not have a, a background in neither film nor music, but I've always kind of hated when they kind of rely on too much music because I almost feel like it's, it's telling me how I should feel about the action on screen as opposed to enhancing how I feel about it. Yeah. We say that all the time. We like literally say that all the time, those words. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're, you're correct. And I think Cobra Kai does a great yes. job of, yes. of balancing this. And like they, there are, there are a lot of scenes where, you know, we don't, we don't touch it. And it, and it's a scene, you know, maybe with, uh, with Johnny and Miguel or something. And Billy Zapka is such a good actor that like, it doesn't need, you don't always need music to tell you like, okay, this is emotional. Like if they're right. acting and also like Sholo is incredible. I think Sholo is going to be a, mm. like a huge movie star. star. Um, I agree, but yes. they're, I mean, they're, just great so you don't always need music to to tell you but like the way that we use music is like if there's just like a badass moment that needs that push you know we we go for it like we and we and we go hard like we really like to like make the music count um as much as possible one of your guys's uh credits here that i'm very interested in hearing a kind of backstory on is hot tub time machine part two which uh, josh (laughs) Shields also wrote How'd you guys get into uh, that project? You know, that's a total coincidence that Josh wrote that and we worked on it. It was another thing that we were working on with Chris, but ultimately it turned out to be great. First of all, that movie is amazing. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, anyone who hasn't watched we it, like it. Thought it was going to be like a bad sequel to Hot Tub Time Machine is wrong. It is genius. It's so good. It's so funny. Um, but I actually, and I, I think that uh, going in with, when we had our first meeting with John, Josh, and Hayden, before we even got the job, it was just like a prospective meeting. We didn't really know what to think. I uh, didn't know that much about it. And we went in and we were just like, Hot Tub Time Machine 2? And Josh was like, Hot Tub Time Machine 2? And we about it for like five minutes. It was it was definitely good for uh, and also uh, Steve Pink who directed Hot to Time Machine two directed uh, episodes seven oh, and yeah, eight of last couple, season couple, of season one couple in yeah season one that's yeah. right I do recognize the name now now that you guys point that out yeah yeah now what was it like working on Ant Man a Marvel movie crazy yeah or crazy. horrifying. We be- <laughs> horrifying in a good way or I feel like we signed a lot of NDAs doing that so uh, but uh, the way I think what's even for me I, what, I, what I would say is like for me personally I have way more like interest in the like Marvel universe now that I've seen what it's like underneath the hood when they like make the creative decisions of how like 
in making those movies. And so, like, I don't know. I just loved being a part of it because I felt like it was... It, it has, like, since affected my, like, film-watching ability with Marvel movies because I, like, feel like I have so much more context. Yeah. Ant-Man, I, I might be a little biased. I actually think Ant-Man is, like, one of the cooler Marvel scores because, like, it's, yeah. oh, Ant-Man I, itself is such a one-off, kind of. Like, I mean, it's starting to get more integrated with, with all the other ones, but, like, the the theme is great. The Anna theme is great. And the music is, I just feel like a lot more kind of self-aware and fun. And it was given, you know, I watched some of the new, I just saw Catch Marvel. And I was like, wow, like we got away with a lot of shit on Ant-Man. Like that I can't <laughs> imagine another Marvel movie doing musically. But yeah, it was, a, it was a really, like just really interesting experience for sure. Now to kind of swing things over to the Cobra Kai side, one of the things that, frankly, impressed the ever-living hell out of me was just how original the music was, but still recognizable. I mean, uh, Bill Conti's work on that franchise is definitely a, a touchstone on a lot of moviegoers' memories. How hard was it, or how easy was it to to ride that wave where you want to kind of make it familiar, but you don't want to be overly reliant on such such work like that? I think uh, like, yeah, our yeah, gut yeah. instincts was like we really didn't want to be reliant on it. And I think since then we've gotten more – like as working in the show, we've become a little more like comfortable like incorporating some Conti ideas. But like when we started, we tried to break down the original scores a little bit and think mm-hmm. like, okay, what is it that – people respond to in these scores is it like a specific melody is it a specific instrument or like a specific just like musical language and and we took away from that like especially like the instruments were very like left an impression on people and that when we would like play the original karate kid music for people like i i always felt like they were they would recognize it not because of like any melody but because they'd hear like a certain pan flute or a certain like combination of orchestra instruments so we tried to write new music that used those same color ideas mm-hmm. um and we also kind of expanded that beyond the conti thing a little bit where a huge amount of our score for cobra kai sounds nothing like conti but it is kind of influenced by the soundtrack like the songs in the original movie and we try to identify, like, what's the palette of that kind of music? And, like, how do we turn that into a score version? We also have, like, a whole nother world of Karate Kid that we had to score. Like, we were giving, you know, Johnny's world an entire... We, like, we developed that soundtrack, I would say. And it was informed by what Leo was saying. Like, yes, like, some of the, the soundtrack of Karate Kid. But, like, it was the really the most informative thing for Johnny's sound was, like, the music that he would listen to in his Challenger. So like yeah. you know we we like you know we were we were influenced a lot by eighties hair metal and <laughs> and you know the stuff that he would listen to as he's like kicking that was when we scored the first like fight scene in the first episode of Cobra Kai it was like what is he listening to in his head as he's kicking these teenagers' asses like it's like a Jean Claude Van Damme movie so that's like what we used to to develop his sound and then from there. We, you know, we have, have these different, like, we talk about these, like, sound worlds a lot. We have, like, Johnny's world. We have Daniel's world, which is definitely, like, steeped in, like, the Conti 
the continess and like we use orchestra and then we've got like the, the the new generation the kids which is like this mix of like johnny's kind of like hair metal and rock with like electronica like 80s synth influenced music so, so what is the process like when you're trying to compose a piece for like a certain scene um zach i believe it was you that said that was it in college you kind of w- went back and re- like rediscovered maybe 80s rock and like how, how do you guys do your homework and try to draw influences to write a piece for a scene it's really hard when you start out a project no matter what the project is and especially something like cobra kai where there's a little bit more pressure than your average pilot for something because you want to make it work everyone's trying to figure out the tone and i you know like no one really the tone was so was so like kind of radical for this show like i don't think anyone you know would have guessed that this is what they were going to go for and that's partially why it's so successful but you know you sit down and you and you think about what is enhancing the scene in a way that makes you feel like you're a part of of what's going on and like what's you're you're like a part of you're you're with this character you're hearing what what he or she is hearing or you're kind of like an omnipotent composer who's kind of scoring the grander picture and um there's we have a we have a few of like different examples of that but like the tone comes from i think you know leo and i struggled with it a lot and like what is are we playing are we self-aware? Like that was one question we always like talked about with John, Josh, and Hayden, who, who we we just call JJH by the way. So if we <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, like, we I love that. Um, JJ JJH, like you know, what are we self-aware? Which I would say that we are self-aware in a lot of different uh, examples, especially that fight scene. But then you also got to be um, you've got to be sincere, which the show has a lot of heart, and you're not. We're not making fun of the show. We're not, not making fun of anybody in our music um you know sometimes there's some tongue-in-cheek stuff and and there's some references that like oh if you get it you get it but there's that that is by far the hardest part is thinking about and we knew that we knew that like we wanted to incorporate you know 80s rock and 80s hair metal but you know there there's that doesn't always work when daniel's talking to sam about like you know her high school life like this so there's a lot of uh we had to we had to really like kind of draw a fine line leo do you have anything to add to that well i think i just like i like thinking about the idea of like doing homework as a composer because i actually find it really difficult like the more the deeper into this career we get like i find like finding time to like listen to music and like absorb it like very different and like you know like those so much of what we talked about of like we listened to this in high school we listened to that then is like a huge amount of this like database that you like act that is like sleeping in my memory that i like managed to summon up and access depending on whatever uh the job at hand is um i guess that's kind of like a tangent but i was daydreaming (laughs) about that for for a second (laughs) Yeah, we talk, I mean, we talk a lot of, Leo and I talk a lot about having kind of like cultural capital when it comes to film scoring and like understanding references, not just from music, but like different movies and, and things like that. So like we, we really value having like, you know, spending the time to like watch film and 
listen to different types of music and and use all these things that we learn um, in all our different types of projects. Uh, we heard that sometimes scenes are written with, um, you know, like a specific song in mind. Whose job is it to kind of go out and get the rights to use a song? And do you guys <laughs> ever find difficulty trying to get like the that that first initial song that is is wanted? Uh, that is the job of someone called the music supervisor. Hmm. Well, basically, like frequently, the you know who's ever making it will pick a song. In this case, like JJH, while they're in the cutting room, will have an idea for a song and they'll cut it in, and then it gets kicked over to a music supervisor whose job it is is to go out and find and negotiate the rights for that song, which sometimes are prohibitively expensive. So that's happened a few times on Cobra Kai where there's like a song that just can't be licensed. And so rather than it being a song, it becomes a score moment. Or sometimes we'll, there'll be a song in the cut and it can be licensed. But, you know, in, in watching the episode when we do our spotting, we just decide that it something might work better storytelling wise as like a, a a song or sorry as score rather than a song and so it can be really tricky to kind of make that pivot to people who have had a song in their head i i think that like the, the chief difference between like songs and score from like a filmmaking point of view is like often has to do and especially in cobra kai i think with kind of like a sort of like cultural resonance where like when you have score in a scene, you're still very much like in the story kind of seeing things from a perspective of one of the characters. You're like on the ground level, like looking through the the storytelling forest. And when a song plays because it is something that the characters can't hear, but you as an audience can hear. And it's probably something you've heard before. That's like, informing you something about a sequence it's a much more like broad stroke type of like look from above the forest type of thing uh in watching and so i think that they're effective in like different types of scenes yeah i think that's why you see a lot of like throughout film like montages that involve like songs rather than score because it's super uh, it's sorry leo sorry. Well, no 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 okay continue uh I was going to add that it's super effective in Cobra Kai because of just like the soundtrack from the Karate Kids. Like, I mean, there's there's tons of there's, you know, in in one of the episodes last season when they go to golf and stuff and it's, you know, they play Young Hearts and it's the same as Karate Kid. Like, that's a good example of like what Leo was talking about. And also, I think in the I really like in the first episode of of season one where Johnny's like drunk driving and and he's like <laughs> having like that flashback. So he's having all the flashbacks uh, to um, head games. Yeah, head games and head games of foreigners playing, and it, that that's a really good use of like a needle drop that's actually kind of playing like a score in a way. And they, they use a lot. Like I think the the music that they that they get for the show is is pretty fantastic, and it definitely also partially informs the score sound a little bit as well. Now, you mentioned that there were some songs that were originally thought of for certain scenes, but they were just too prohibitive to license. And so they had to kind of use you guys to, to kind of come up with something evocative of those songs. Can you give us any specific songs that you you used and where they were located in the series? 
We, I don't know how deep we'll get into this, but we did score our original, We, the end of season one was actually originally score. Uh, when Johnny is kind of prepping, he gives this like speech to Miguel. Um, oh, of episode one, season one. Of episode one, yeah, of season one. And, you know, they ended up using uh, Sirius by Alan Parsons Project. But that was, was one where we actually had a, a score there that we it was actually it's on our album it's called awake the snake like we we just loved it so we just put it on the album but that was one where it ended up acting almost doing the opposite like the like we had this and then Sirius kind of like became available through this like other passage uh and they ended up using that i'm trying to think of one where like they couldn't use something and we had to do it i'm not sure there I can think of I can think there of one in season two. Qualifies that for season two. No, yeah. I, I don't want to know anything about season okay. two. Okay, <laughs> it happens fairly frequently. What's crazy is actually it, it doesn't say anything about season two, but like no one's even gonna guess that that is a spot like that in season two, though. Right. Like there, there's there's plenty of times where like you blow a lot of money on getting these songs, mm-hmm. uh, and especially because these bands make their money from these things now. Uh, Quiet Riot isn't making a ton of money right now, except for like, <laughs> or or like you know when Twisted Sister gets it, like we're not going to take it in like every other piece of content. So like that that's how they make their money. So it's expensive. So a lot of the times there are there are times where like okay you know we were going to do a song here and can you guys just replace it with a score? And it doesn't always necessarily have to be like a copy of the song. Like it could just be our take on the scene, which okay. can be vastly okay. different. Can you take us uh, kind of through the process of uh, composing a piece for a scene? Do, do you guys have to wait for season two to wrap, or do JJH do they just ca- kind of send you like completed scenes as as they are um, produced? Uh, we wait until we don't really get started working with them until they're done shooting, and then they come back. They they shoot in Atlanta for the most part or around Atlanta. Um, and then they come back and they open the cutting room where they have a couple editors who are all working on different episodes. And we go in order for the most part. We generally kind of work on two episodes at a time. So we'll go over there for a spotting meeting and uh, sit with the three guys and the editor and the music supervisor and just watch the episode down and basically stop any time there is music that we need to talk about. And I should say our music editor, Andres, is there, too, uh, who is our indispensable, quote-unquote, third composer. Third composer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then we get, you know, they send us the stuff, and we, Leo and I work in different studios, so we are just generally on the phone all day, kind of, like, going back and forth, talking about the different scenes we're working on, and we'll, you know, start something on my rig and send it over to leo sometimes and he'll do something and send it back to me and then you know they're the turnaround on these is, is um incredibly rapid so we there's there's a lot of times where they're changing picture even though we've written a finished cue that's been approved they'll change picture they'll add they'll change the edit so then the timing gets all weird and that's kind of where our music editor comes in and he will take you know, our piece of music and the, and the stems, like the different elements of the piece of music. And he'll, he'll do what's called a conform where, where he'll take uh, the existing piece of music and then conform it to the new picture. If he has to cut maybe like a bar here, or maybe he has to add two bars of music 
somewhere just to to make it fit because they've made the scene longer then that's that's what mm-hmm. he does now i okay first off i'm not blowing smoke or anything but i love the score of cobra kai and you know, I Thank find myself, yeah, I binged the album numerous times. I'm, I'm a podcast junkie, but nice. when it became available on Apple Music, I would just have that album on repeat over and over. Um, <laughs> it's really hard for me to choose one favorite song, but my two favorite, the, the entire album is amazing, but my two favorite songs, or tracks rather, is uh, track nine, Miyagi-Do, and 15, oh. Johnny Story. Interesting. Oh, wow. Those are two we don't get all the time, and that makes me really fucking happy. (laughs) Bleep it out. Go go ahead. No, I was going to say bleep it out so that it's a kid-friendly podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm very bad about the... uh, We've we've had some... things PG. I like to think we're kind of a PG-13... Okay, so you get one. Honestly, anyone who's watching the show... Can deal with <laughs> exactly, the yeah. <laughs> curse word. Well, um, we're glad that you like those tracks. Yeah, Johnny's yeah. story has actually become like a pretty uh, malleable piece of music that I feel like we've gotten a lot more mileage out of than than we originally thought. Right? Yeah. Well, we'll say that shows up a decent amount in season two. Yeah. Um, like that that theme, and then the Miyagi Do theme is like that's our that's that's like our bread and yeah. butter. Yeah, big like main orchestral theme for Miyagi Do. Yeah, um, and that's and you know what's interesting, and we we talk about this a lot. Like we season two was was pretty cool for us because coming back on a season two, I think of any show, but especially a show like this, we jumped into season two immediately feeling like very comfortable in our in our own skin and like with the sounds that we had developed and we had all these themes kind of like from the get-go of season two that like we could apply in all, all these different places. So like, you know, there are certain scenes that remind us of like Johnny story or whatever. So we could go back and say, Hey, like let's use some Johnny story material. Whereas the first season we didn't really kind of co- like come into all of our real themes, like until kind of like almost over a little over halfway through season one like episode five to episode six it was when we had our miyagi-do theme first introduced we had our like new cobra kai theme which is was first introduced like when johnny is um it's like the flip the script moment when johnny is like when hawk is introduced basically when hawk comes to life that theme is now that's like our one of our main 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 themes that's like everywhere and we didn't have that uh for the first half of last season so all of season two now, we've got like this, we, we're really proud of like all our different types of themes and like Sam's theme and like Daniel's kind of like Miyagi remembrance theme and Johnny's theme with Miguel, like they have their own thing. So we're like really excited about how they're all utilized in season two. And like, it really kind of goes like an extra length this season. Yeah, they they are just very they're they're both beautiful. Um, I played a uh, a couple years of band myself. I I played the the trumpet. Uh, I spent nice. all four years of uh, high school in choir, so I feel like I have a pretty good ear for certain things. But what Johnny's story? Why I love that so much is because it's you know it's kind of bluesy and that guitar 
you know, it's very much like like a voice. You know, it is singing to you throughout that entire track, and it's it's beautiful. And and it kind of sometimes I kind of forget what's going on in that scene too. You know, Johnny's talking to Miguel. And it's like, hey, let me tell you my side of the story, right? Oh, just a that was a track. hard scene. Zach, what did you have a funny like? Zach is great at coming up with like weirdly specific subgenres of music for like every. <laughs> possible thing did you have one for johnny's story where you were like oh yeah this is like well i think that was hard because it was like you i remember leo also the temp was really good for that like they had played oh yeah I music that everyone that. was like oh we love the temp which is also like a hard thing for composers to hear because then they get too attached to it and then you're like how do we you know top it but i i you know it was like that one oh yeah that one specifically i was like it's got to be like this type of like brian adams like nostalgia kind of like or like don henley boys of summer like there's something like you know super nostalgic about it and but it also it connotates like that late 80s you know or like mid to late 80s like guitar rock kind of anthems um and not not like hard like rock but like kind of like yeah, like Don Henley and Brian Adams. So we had to play, you know, we wanted the instrumentation to be like that, but also we had to play the nostalgia. We had to play the emotion. It's a pretty long scene. It's like two and a half minutes of like Johnny just like talking about this thing. And it's a really pivotal yeah. moment because it's you never, you, you've heard about it for 30 years uh, on YouTube video theories or whatever. And then now it's like you actually have it coming out of the horse's mouth. Like this is what, this is my side of the story so that was like a really like we we put a lot of thought into how to communicate all of those yeah. feelings into music there i'm excited for that to that that shows up we we really like wanted to revisit that that material for season two so so maybe um i kind of answered my own question just kind of thinking about it maybe johnny's story is my favorite track because uh, I may sound like a dork here, but I often, when I'm listening to that that piece, I am freestyling my own lyrics. It really? I do. I really do. God, and I, I love. Feel oh, like you a dork. should like record it. You should really record it. I, we would love to hear it. Okay, you, you, I'll I'll consider it. I, I'll definitely consider it. <laughs> I'll pa- I'll pester him, gentlemen. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I I actually have one last question. This is going to be a question for all four of us, uh, but I never get a chance to speak with people who uh, make music for a living. Uh, we live in a day and age where we can carry our entire music library in our hip pocket, and not all of it is going to be revered as classic or influential music, whether it's uh, uh, everything by the Beatles or everything by uh, Led Zeppelin or any of the other uh, classic acts that everybody knows and mostly loves. We all have guilty pleasures on our phone. What is the biggest guilty pleasure on yours? I'll go first. I not only have the entire catalog of Harry Chapin on my phone, I have a lot of bootlegs. Harry Chapin, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Cats in the Cradle himself, is very schmaltzy, very sentimental, very saccharine in in many ways. But I I grew up with a father who was a huge fan, so I have a deep emotional connection to his music. And I don't care what anybody says, I love it, but I would probably get some uh, uh, weird looks if I'm blasting Dance Band on the Titanic out of the uh, car speakers. So... Gentlemen, what is your biggest guilty pleasure that you have on your phone? 
Um, um, I'll, I'll go first to kind of give yeah, our guests a, a little bit. Yeah. Now, I don't have the entire album, but Guilty Pleasure that's downloaded on my phone. And you know, I love everything, but it's, prob- it's probably the Spice Girls to become one. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's um, a good, I, I mean, Spice Girls are really good. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I agree with you. But I, I don't <laughs> think anybody, be, I, I think people would be surprised, but you have that on your phone. Yeah. I absolutely love Taylor Swift 1989. Oh. I think it's like the best album in the last 20 years. Leo works out to it. There was a solid two year period where I worked out to it every single day. <laughs> I, oh. uh, I would say that mine is um, I'm pretty into smooth jazz. Like, I guess, you know, Leo probably is too. Um, but I love uh, the, this band, like the Rippingtons, which are just like. If you listen to them, they are just the most like 1993 smooth jazz core that you could get. <laughs> like, just absolutely wonderful music. I wish I had. I actually just like got a bunch. Of, I was in Thailand and I found all these like. I love like also 80s Japanese fusion, which is like precursor to to smooth jazz. And I just spent more money than I would like to admit on like all these records, like smooth jazz fusion records uh, that you cannot find in America. So I'm very excited to jam to those all right uh i i've got a, a story that i'm going to embarrass my friend with uh i'm not going to re- refer to him by name i'll just call him jack uh peter i'm <laughs> sure knows who i'm talking about uh when we were kids back in 1996 1997 we moved out of the house we got our very first apartment together i'm walking out of the bedroom he's walking from the bathroom and we meet up he doesn't know I'm here. He's got his headphones on, and I just hear him singing, Man, I feel like a woman. And the best part about it is he is this burly, big, tough-looking some bitch who's singing Shania Twain. It's you know what, like listening to all of those songs now, especially like, you know, we're talking like Spice Girls and like I was just listening to Christina Aguilera, like Genie in a Bottle, like her first, and it's like yeah. those are really well produced pot like you can get why they were just so big like mm. they are really well produced like probably the same reason that like there was the you know 1989 is a great album it's just like people knew what they were doing like those pop producers knew what they were doing so that anyone could love man i feel like a woman oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, as we get ready to wrap up i i have two questions myself um Tom, I don't know if you have any. Uh, no, here. no. Take okay. the floor, sir. All right. So uh, first question is, I mentioned that Johnny's Story is probably my favorite track. Uh, this album, you guys kind of reminded me that, yes, I also listened to this when I, I used to work out uh, pre-baby. You know, we have, we have the newborn at home. <laughs> um, but if uh, Gun to Your Head, what is your favorite track from season one? Oh, boy. Uh I don't know. I, you know, I, I think my go-to that I talk a lot about, we've talked a lot about it in like other interviews. I mean, I just love um, Slither, which is the, it's the montage, like the, the Miguel training montage music. Um, and I think that one is just like, I think scoring a montage in the Karate Kid universe is kind of like a dream come true. So especially for an 80s head like me, that was a pretty really a really really cool moment and i think we got to do kind of like what we imagined we could do and everyone was super supportive and happy about it and that is 
just like a rare thing that happens in our business. So I, I'm, I, I think I always go with Slither. I think I'm the most proud of that one. Um, I'm going to go with uh, another one that we've talked about frequently, uh, though it's not as good of an album track, but as far as like working in the show, the track on the album called The Wrong Path is like, it, it's that same theme from that track, you like Miyagi-Do, but like kind of done, it, it's when Daniel's talking to Robbie in the locker room after he gets injured and like talking to, giving him like the sage advice about his his father-son relationship and uh it's a nice moment score-wise because we actually take all of our music incorporate a little bit of bill conti in there turn it all into kind of a new thing use a different set of instruments for to like this like cool floaty spacey synth to like kind of do the main idea and it's just one of those moments that works like i think we both when we watch it like down to the frame the way it works with pictures is like perfect and it's fun to listen to but it, i think it's a good yeah. album yeah i think it's a good album listen and my, my last question was um i found out about this extremely late and i missed out on the cobra kai long box limited edition uh, uh that's no longer available anywhere unfortunately uh, it's you, not wait uh, do they oh, sell wow. them all uh, uh, I'm on the. That. I actually have the La La Land Records uh, website up, and it says no or no longer available. Oh, dude, I'll, I'll send Wait. you one. We've got a yeah, few. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll send you both. <laughs> oh, thank you. Can, can I get one? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, we've got like a yeah, we've got some extras for sure. Great. Wow, I didn't know they sold out. That makes me feel good. Well, actually, you know what? Maybe I missed uh, autograph CD booklets are no longer available. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure, but. Hmm. Um, but I guess the question I was going to ask is, I don't know if this, I don't, I don't believe this is a spoiler, but do you guys have any knowledge about a season two soundtrack long box limited edition? Uh, I can tell you that the season two soundtrack is early in the works right now. Is it at least going to be badass? <laughs> oh, it will definitely be badass. We're very excited about season two music. Like, we... we we think it's like we're we're proud of season one, but I think season two was like totally next level for us. Like we we first of all we we like recorded a full orchestra for every single episode this year, oh, which was wow. really special. So and and we really you know as I mentioned you know before is like our themes are just like full force. We really just had so much fun writing all these different kind of types of of musics and. I don't know. It's I. I'm so pumped about it. So we're we're really excited for everyone to hear it. That concludes our conversation with uh, Mr. Berenberg and also Robinson. I want to thank them again for their generous uh, time talking about their work and you know just a little inside baseball here. Uh, afterwards, they said that they'd be happy to return after season two drops because. There's some exciting They're stuff. They're dying coming. to talk about it. They yeah. are. Yeah. So uh, it sounds. It like, sounds like it almost sounds like the people behind the scenes are just as excited as the fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure they are fans themselves. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, one question I could have asked is how how do watching Cobra Kai? I know that you know my eyes would be bug eyed. You know, smile ear to ear. How are they able to watch a scene and 
work. You know what I mean? And think of how to compose a certain scene without maybe like, you know what, let, let, let's just finish this episode real quick. You know, then we'll go back and you know think music. Honestly, that would be kind of hard for me because I would probably end up watching the episode three times before I even <laughs> put paper to pen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, oh, just great stories. Uh, and they were a, l- a lot of fun to, to talk with, too. So um, I know we could have uh, gone more. And you know, what about the uh, that, that question that you had, the, the guilty pleasure one? That was a really good question. Oh, wow. Thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really nice. Uh, I... I never had imagined that I would ever drop that I have Spice Girls on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, how small a percentage uh, of our audience even knows who the hell Harry Chapin was. So, you know, go listen to him. Yeah. Great music. I don't care what anybody says. Not going to lie, the name doesn't ring a bell, but I wonder if it's one of those things if I hear the music, because I love music. Um, I, I don't know, Tom, if I ever... I feel like I might have mentioned this in our mailbag episode, which I've yet to put out. But um, I've I've listened to everything from the '50s through current times, so I don't discriminate against genre. I, I listen to it all, really. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. So, all right. Is there anything else that we want to kind of touch base on, sir? No, that that's all I got right now. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, you know, we'll include their uh, Twitter handles in our show notes as well. If you guys want to reach out and you know, you guys have anything to to say to them or any other questions, maybe that you guys had while listening to the interview. Uh, but if you want to get a hold of us, we are on Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast, on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod, and we have this amazing, super interactive group page called Well. If you go to Facebook, just type in www. Cobra Kai. TVAMB group. You spell out the words period. We've, um, you know, as we approach the summer, there's all these conventions going around, going on around the country, and we have listeners. I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but we have listeners almost everywhere. And recently, C2E2 in Chicago. We must have had at least five or six of our members there, um, you know, uploading content, videos, and pictures of their weekend, you know, with uh, with Ralph and, and uh, Billy Zabka. It's amazing stuff, and you can all you can find it all in our group. Yeah, a uh, special shout-out to uh, superfan Amy S. Uh, she only shared a very, very, very brief snippet, but I think she may have had an amazing time with one Mr. Zapka. She really did, and at the time of this recording, I have the full-length videos that I'll be posting in our group, so it's exclusive to our group. However, Amy, she may uh, share it on other social medias herself, uh, but you know, obviously that's up to her, but she did send it to me uh, and said that I can post it up in the group for, for our members. So there you go. Uh, it, you guys may eventually see it on the social medias, but currently it will be exclusive to our group, uh, the full-length video, that is. So um, now, now, speaking of C2E2, can I geek out for just a second? Okay, just a second. Time's up. Uh, All right, so oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> well, uh, on Friday afternoon... Uh, Cobra Kai went on all of their social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, the YouTube channel, and asked for submissions uh, for a, a very brief Q&A for uh, Mr. Zapka and Machio, and I posted maybe five or six on Twitter, 
and wouldn't you know who the first question uh, was asked by but a certain drunken dork. Yeah, I wonder who that is. And I don't know who it is, but I'm sure whoever it is that's out there loves the fact that he got uh, the two uh, actors to to laugh on multiple levels. So I'm sure that the drunken dork was grinning ear to ear at that. Yeah, per- perhaps. Um it, they had a they had a good time with that name for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, so Tom, if they can't uh, or if they want to, you know, if the listeners want to check out some of the other stuff you do, where can they find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Twitter at the Drunken Dork. Huh. Uh that's in support of my show Jake and Tom Conquer the World. We also have a did, Facebook did, group. Did you see Jake and Tom or Jack and Tom? I- <laughs> <laughs> I am going to plead the fifth on that one, <laughs> but we do have a Facebook group. It's called Jake and Tom Conquer the Group. What about yourself, sir? All right. I host another podcast reviewing retro movie reviews and sometimes some new releases. Uh, it is called Podstalgic, which you can also find on Instagram and Twitter. So that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank everybody for your guys' continued support. Uh, last time I checked, we had a couple more five-star ratings. So currently, it's, it is uh, all five stars. So thank wow. you guys. Thank you guys wow. so much. Um, so if you haven't yet already done so, please consider taking a minute or two, go in on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review or a star rating that really help us out if nothing else it, it definitely encourages us it, 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 it really does so thank you guys yes so uh, thank you guys and we will see you guys next time see ya Thank you for listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.